Thank you, Johnny. It is a delight to be back with you again today. Um, for those of you who remember uh, my being here last year, I will be giving you some updates and reports from uh, what I shared as it related to our lesson on the attitude of gratitude. But before I do that, um, Dr. Falwell, back in 1999, called me and he asked me if I'd be willing to partner with Liberty University to continue sharing with churches about the miracle of this school with our traveling ministry teams. And so we partnered together, and he asked me, he said, Randy, I want you to come every year to Liberty University and remind the students of what you're doing, because without their prayer support and without their involvement, we're not going to be able to accomplish all that we need to accomplish. When we go into the schools, in the elementary schools across the country, for those of you who are new students, I know those of you who have been here for three or four years, you know all about our ministry, and if you'll oblige me the opportunity just to update these who are new, we have teams of eight college-age young people who actually give a year of their life, and then they go across the country during the traditional calendar school year. They take a year out of school to do this. And every single day, we have young people in elementary schools taking biblical values to the students of America, reaching over one million public school students every year. In the last, we're now celebrating our 11th year. We just had our 10th year anniversary. Over 9 million students reached in the first 10 years in the public schools with biblical values for which we praise God. Now, when we're in the schools, we call ourselves primary focus. On the weekends, we sing in Bible-believing churches, and we have a contemporary gospel concert ministry, similar to Sounds of Heritage and other groups from the college here. But we're able to be in over 350 churches from coast to coast every year, sharing not only the gospel and encouraging Christians to, uh, to serve him in their communities, but also representing Liberty University. We have a display table, and we encourage young people from all over the country to either attend here or even adults through the DLP program. And so we're thankful to God for the ministry of living proof in the churches and primary focus in the schools. This morning... Uh, prior to coming over here was the first opportunity I'd had to be back in Lynchburg. I was here for Dr. Falwell's funeral, but I had not been able to visit his gravesite. And so this morning, I had the privilege of, of going to that quiet place and nobody else was there. And as I was praying this morning, asking God just to enable us to continue impacting the country and the vision that Dr. Falwell and I had shared so many years ago, when we go into the schools, we use what we call the six pillars of character, uh, trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, all biblical values. And when I was standing there looking at Dr. Falwell's gravesite, I looked up and there were six pillars. And you've all been there, so you know what I'm talking about. And it was just an affirmation again from the Lord that though Dr. Falwell is gone, the work is still needs to be done. And I'm thrilled to be able to be here today to share with you. Now, as it pertains to what happened last year, some of you will remember the story I told you about my wife and I receiving a check for $10,000 in the mail. That was a total surprise. We weren't expecting it, and it was a gift. And when it came to us, my wife and I are firm believers that you cannot give God. And every now and then, we take him at his challenge where he tells us to test him, to prove him, to see if he won't work a miracle. So my wife said, what should we do with this $10,000? I said, I know what to do. Let's give it away and watch what God will do. And I promised you I would report back because it had just happened. And I told you I would report back when I came back this year as to what happened as a result of passing that on. I'm thrilled to tell you that from that time I was here last year to now, uh, we received a donation of property. And the property was an old motel hotel building in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where our national headquarters is. 
And uh, that property has been valued at $4.5 million, and it was given to us as a gift. And I believe with all my heart it was a direct result of that $10,000 seed gift that God gave. My challenge to you, just in closing that story, is you can't ever outgive God and test him. He will prove himself faithful in that area. I also uh, thank Johnny for praying today for Ed Heinsohn. I want to announce I was at the hospital yesterday at about 5 o'clock just before church, and I was able to go into his room, and with Linda, his daughter, uh, we laid hands and we prayed. And by way of an update, I called the hospital again this morning. He's stable but critical, but young people, I want to tell you, I stood right next to him. The man is fighting for his life, and I want to ask you to continually be praying for Dr. Ed Heinsohn. And for those of you who will, I want to encourage you to go a step further and begin fasting. I started fasting last Tuesday night for Dr. Ed Heinsohn. Haven't had a bite to eat since. I don't know when God's going to release me from the fast. We'll see what happens with Dr. Heinsohn. God's word is very clear. When you want God to do something extra special, supernatural, you can't just bow your head and say, Lord, just do it and, and move on with your life. We have to take this serious. He's fighting for his life, and I implore you, to join with me, those of you who will, in fasting maybe one meal, maybe two, maybe two or three days, whatever, that we might see Dr. Ed Heinsohn restored to full health. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as I now open up the word of God, I pray that you would uh, bless this time that we have in the word together. I do lift Ed up today as Johnny already has. And again, Lord, he is a choice servant. You said wherever two or three are gathered, you are in the midst. And if we would agree on one thing, you would grant that. Well, Lord, there are thousands of us here. And we're asking that you raise that man up for many, many more years of ministry. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before I get to sharing from God's Word, there are a couple of things of business I need to do. Every year at this time, Dr. Fowell asked me to come and make you aware of what our ministry had in store if you might be interested in joining us. Uh, as I said, we travel throughout the country. You have to take a year out of school to join us. But um, we, in exchange for that, we take care of all of your room and board expenses. We give you a weekly allowance. We also, um, if we go and do something fun, like go to the movies or go bowling or whatever, we pay for that. We take you on an all-expense-paid seven-day cruise. We're getting ready to go on that in a couple of weeks. We're going down to Acapulco. And then at the end of your tour year with us, we give you a one-year tuition to Liberty University. So there may be some of you here today who are looking for a way to pay for your school bill, and maybe a year of service would be the answer for you. The, the tuition is good not only here at Liberty University, but at, also at the seminary and also for the DLP courses. So we invite you to consider this. Let me tell you what we need. We need guy singers especially. This year we're a little short on guys, so if you can help us. Gals, we need gal singers. We also need technicians. We need sound people. You say, well, I don't know anything about sound, but I'm willing to learn. We're willing to teach you. We also have room for uh, helpers at our office in Knoxville, scheduling schools and churches, also working in the kitchen and on the grounds. All of those things, you can earn a year of tuition. Some team members stay for two, three, and even four years and get a full ride here at Liberty University. So if you'd be interested, right after the service, down here in front, we have a table, and you can come down and get a brochure, fill out just a real quick thing, and we'll get in contact with you by the end of the week, tell you more about our ministry. Thank you so much for letting me share that. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. Actually, we'll start in chapter 3. Um, I got saved when I was 15 years old. I'm from Southern California. I just turned 55 last week. And I'll never forget 
when I first got saved, I heard a lot about love. Uh, I was involved in a Baptist church out there, about a thousand people, so it was a pretty good-sized church at the time, and we had about 60 to 80 in our high school youth group, and I always loved going to the youth meetings and going to the activities, but my favorite activity was going to the beach. Though I lived in Southern California, we were still about an hour and a half from the West Coast, and we'd go to the beach three or four times during the summer as a youth group, and I loved it, you know, playing in the water, playing football on the sand, and, uh, but inevitably, we would uh, end, end the day around the campfire, you know, they had the, the fire pits, and, and we would all hold hands, and we would sing, and somebody would give a devotion, and, and you know, it basically always ended the same way. Now, you guys can't relate to what I'm about to share because you have so many terrific worship choruses today. Just great worship choruses. You know, the you are, the air I breathe. I mean, we could go on and on and on about the great choruses of God that you all sing and can worship with. Well, we didn't have those. When we'd stand around the fire pit, we'd hold hands and sing, Do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me, and I'll fly away, oh glory. You know, real, you know, deep, deep spiritual songs. Well, we always ended with a song that I grew to hate. It was awful, but we always sang it, and I never knew why. I was only 15, 16 years old, but this was the song. If you've never heard it, allow me if you will. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Inevitably, somebody would start rolling their eyes back, you know, in their head. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Now, get this line. This was the kicker line. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That song was such a loser. It's a horrible song. It talks about that we're failing. You know, one day our unity will be restored. We're just praying for that day. And once that happens, then everybody will know we are Christians. In the meantime, nobody will. That's what the song said. It's a stupid song. Now, you can say you're being blasphemous. It's not from the Word of God. Some guy wrote it and it sounded good. And, of course, the other one was Kumbaya. I mean, just dumb songs that we sang. I'm I'm surprised we made it this far, Johnny. Anyway, all right. So... They were talking about they'll know we are Christians by our love. Well, all of us want love. And here at Liberty University, you learn about love. You know, there's all different kinds. There's agape love, God's love. And there's phileo love, brotherly love. There's uh, eros love, you know, the sensual love or sexual love that you would have with a husband and a wife. All of those kinds of love. And so I knew about love, but I didn't know how to love. And I'm going to tell you why. Growing up in my family in California... At 55 years of age, I still to this day cannot remember ever in my adolescent years from the time I was, say, probably five years old, from the time I could remember until my teenage years and even into young adulthood, I can never remember ever my mother and father saying these words to me, I love you. I don't remember it. Last year I taught you eight words, eight letters, I'm sorry, in two words, thank you. Today I'm going to talk to you about eight letters and three words. I love you. My parents never said that to me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know my parents loved me. I have no question in my mind that my parents loved me. We just didn't say that. 
We didn't communicate that. We were not an affectionate family. We didn't embrace each other. We didn't hug. We didn't kiss. We never said, I love you, ever. And as I look back at my mom and dad in their life, I looked at their parents, at my grandparents, and I realized they never did it to my parents because I never saw my grandparents embrace my mom and dad. They never said, I love you. We just didn't do it. It just wasn't our way. I would imagine that many of you come from homes similar to the one I grew up in. And even to this day, you don't say, I love you, to your family. It's just not, it's understood. You just don't have to say it. Well, I came to Liberty University, and I met a fox named Gail Lanzalotti, full Italian. And she lived in New Jersey. And I'm telling you, (laughs) when I get to heaven, God's going to give me an extra crown because I took my wife from that state. But anyway, the... um, Just, I'm just kidding. But anyway, my, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time. We were dating here at Liberty, and we decided to go to her home about six hours away in Williamstown, just across the border from Philadelphia. And I'll never forget, we drove up in the driveway, and we got out of the car, and we went through the front door, and she ran to her mother, and her mother met her halfway, and they embraced And they actually kissed each other and said these words, I love you. And I'm thinking, well, you know, a daughter to a mom, that's natural. But then her brother came home. Her brother. And she got up and she greeted him and she hugged him and said, I love you. And I started thinking to myself, if I were to ever do that to one of my sisters, I don't think so. If I were to do that, you know what would happen? The same thing that happened to John Coffey in the movie The Green Mile. I'd kiss her and all of a sudden these bugs would start coming out of my mouth. Just flying all over the place. Well, then her other brother came home. And she kissed and hugged him and said, I love you. And then her dad came home and the same thing. And, it, and at first I thought this. She's been away at school. You know, this is not normal. She's just doing this today. No, we were there four days. She did it every day. Every day she greeted every one of her family members with a hug and a kiss and said, I love you, and they responded in kind. Well, at first I thought, this is weird. But on the way home, we discussed it. And I said to Gail, I said, you know what? What you just had in your home that, and what you modeled for me, I've never seen. I've never had that in my own life, and I want it. And so Gail and I determined that day, because we knew we were going to get married, and we ultimately did, all three of our children were born right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, when I was on staff at the church, And from that day until this, we've always told our children, every day we're with them, I love you, we kiss, we hug, we hold, we embrace, and there's never any doubt because that that became an important part of my life. But here's the kicker. My dad, when we got married, we were in a situation where my folks weren't able to meet Gail physically, in person, talked to her on the phone and stuff, but wasn't able to meet her until we actually got married. They lived in California. She lived in New Jersey. We got married in New Jersey and decided to have our honeymoon in California so my family and all my church friends could meet Gail. So the first time my parents ever physically met my wife was as we got off the plane. And I wish you could have been there to see it. My wife goes running up to my dad, and she throws her arms around him and gives him a big kiss and said, Dad, I love you. And he's sitting there going like this. He didn't know what to do. My mother, she was hiding behind the luggage rack. I mean, she... She said, who is this mad woman? And my mother resisted. Well, we went on our honeymoon for a few days, and that's none of your business. And then we came back and to, uh, to uh, be with my family at the house. 
And this was a crack up. Gang, you got you to see this. This was so great. Gail would get up in the morning and she'd go and look for my dad the first couple of days and she'd hug him and kiss him and say, Dad, I love you. And he was still kind of reserved. But after about a week of that, I'd come out and my dad would be looking for Gail. Where is she? Where is she? You know? She, he, he was like a kid that had been, you know, finally uh, released from his chains. He was loving this affection that he was getting that he had never received in his life. Now, my mom, she was still very reserved for about two years, almost three years, till finally she broke down. And I'm thrilled to tell you, before my parents died, they're both now with the Lord, there was never a time I would talk to them on the phone or be with them physically in person that I didn't embrace them, I didn't kiss them on the cheek and say, I love you, and they didn't respond in kind. And so what I'm telling you is, is my wife taught me how to love my family, and in turn, my family learned how to love, and now we just love each other, and it's great. And we're able to have that communication and say, I love you. Now, you say, what's that have to do with us? Well, nothing. But in the Scripture, in the Scripture, where am I? Oh, here they are. You have to forgive me. I turned 55, and my eyes went with it. But uh, if you look... In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, this is what we read in the scripture. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Okay, now this is a verse that talks about how you can know if you're really a Christian. It's not talking about mom and dad love now. I'm changing gears here. Okay, I use that story. I'll come back to it. But I'm talking about the love that you have for each other. I'm talking about the love that you have for the person that's sitting on your left or on your right, or in front of you or behind you. Gang, I'm going to tell you a secret. The kind of love that we're supposed to have as Christians, it's my firm conviction the body of Christ is failing. It's failing. Now, you go along with me and see if some of this isn't true. We can fix it, but right now I think we need vast improvement. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Do you love your brethren? If you do, the Bible says you're a Christian. If you don't, the Bible says you're not. It says you're abiding in death. Now, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. You haven't really been born again if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, go up to verse 16. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoa! We know love because of Jesus. He died on the cross, right? We all understand. He rose again, and we all bought into that, right? We all said, I want, I want to be a part of what Christ is. I want to receive him as my Savior. I want eternal life. I'm buying into the whole Christian thing. Look what it says. We know love by this. This is how we know he loved us, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Robin, stand up. This is my oldest girl, Robin. And uh, I love her with all my heart. And I want you to know right now, without hesitation, you can sit down now, honey. Without hesitation, I would die for her. Right now. If someone came in and said, it's you or her, I'll say, thank you very much. Here I am. Take my life. Not a problem. You can understand that. She's my daughter. But according to this scripture, I'm supposed to do the same thing for you. I don't even know you. And you want me to die? Would you die for me? Even now, Lord, I ask that you strike this young man. 
I don't blame you, Buckwheat. I don't blame you at all. But here's the thing. This verse says that that should be our heart. That's the kind of love that we should have one for another. Gang, I didn't say that. John did. Now, this is a real kicker. Look at verse 18. This one, this one you're, going to have to, you're going to have to wrestle with. It says this. Little children, that's you and I, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You say, well, okay, what's that verse mean? It says, let us not just say we love each other in word and in tongue. Don't just tell somebody you love them. Show them that you love them in word or in deed. We say, okay, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. When was the last time you even loved in word or in tongue? We're not even doing that. We don't even tell each other we love each other. You know how we do it, Johnny? This is how we do it. Tell me if this isn't right. Hey, Johnny, I just want you to know, man, I really love you. In the Lord. In the Lord. You know, don't misunderstand me, Johnny. In the Lord. Right? If I go up to a young gal, honey, I just want you to know, I really love you. And she looks at me like, you know, you dirty old man. No, in the Lord, in the Lord. Let me show you how silly that is. Guys, you're out with your your gal on a romantic night, and you're in love with each other, and you've expressed it before, and you lean over and you give her a little smooch, and you say, frog lips. I'm just, come on, girls, I'm just having fun. You say, honey... I love you. But, but like a guy should love a girl. You know, not, not, you know, not Eros. Not, you know, just like a guy should. You don't qualify it. Hey, Dad, I love you. Like a son should love a father, Dad. Don't misunderstand. Right? Hey, sis, I love you. Whoa! No, I don't mean anything like that. I mean like a brother should love a sister. See, we don't qualify those. So why do we qualify when we say I love you to a Christian? When I told my dad I loved him, It wasn't the same kind of love when I tell my wife I love her or when I love my children. You all understand the difference. There are different variations of love, and you know what you mean. So, Johnny, when I say I love you, you know what that means. I don't have to qualify it. Any questions? Johnny's back here. Wake up. All right. Now, when I say to you I love you, I don't have to qualify it. And you should be able to look to those people around you and everybody here because, gang, we are the body. The Jesus in me is the, loves the Jesus in you, see? It's not you, friend, that I love. It's Jesus in you. But he tells me that I should tell you. Don't just tell him we're not even doing that. Can I suggest we start? Let's start communicating that we do love one another. Michael W. Smith said it in his song by the title of the same name, Love One Another. And the line went like this, Work it in to work it out. There can never be enough. Now, moving on quickly, look in verse 7 of the next chapter, chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This gets back to, again, are you a Christian? It says if you don't love, then you don't love God. You can't know God if you don't love. By this is the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so we might live through him. Okay, God proved his love by sending Jesus. The most valuable possession God the Father had was his son. And he sent him in order to die on the cross and take our place that we might have eternal life. We understand that. But look at verse 10. 
In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We should love one another. If God loved us so much that he sent his son, then we should love each other as well. But we don't. You know what we do instead? We backbite. We gossip. We talk about one another and we undermine one another and we don't encourage one another and we tear each other down and we're wondering why we're not winning the world for Christ. Gang, we've got to love one another because we're all we've got. It's us. It's not us and them. It's us. And God tells us that by loving one another, we can impact our world. Now, down to verse 18. Some of you are sitting here today saying, you know what, I don't like what he's saying. I'm not comfortable. I come from the same kind of home he does. We don't say those kinds of things. I'm going to tell you why people don't say I love you on any level. Spiritually speaking, number one, it's because of immaturity, because people don't know the principle. Okay, now you know it. I'm teaching you the principle you know, so you don't have any excuse. God says that we're to love one another. But you know what the other reason is? Because we're afraid. You know why we're afraid? Because for me to love you means I have to be vulnerable. It means I have to be able to tear everything down and say, I love you, and if you don't love me back, that's okay, and have broad enough shoulders to be able to handle that kind of rejection. So you know that, what that really is? It's fear. And look at verse 18 of chapter 4. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. If you have fear today and you're afraid to love your brothers and sisters, you haven't been perfected in love. That's what the scripture says. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Now, this one I want you to really hear. Start zoning in with me because I'm almost done. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I work with young people your age all the time. And we'll have worship, and there'll be young people, and they'll raise their arms, and we'll have extended worship. You know, 20, 30, 45 minutes extended worship. And they'll sing these songs, and and to look at them outwardly, you would say, these kids really love God. They really do. But then I know their life, and I know that they've been gossiping or backbiting and, and knocking down their brothers and sisters in Christ. And the thing that God's Holy Spirit always brings to my mind is, they're lying. This is not real. Coming and and getting in some euphoric state because you're worshiping God with a song because everybody else is doesn't prove you love God. That isn't in the proof. The proof is how you love one another. Now look what he says again. If someone says, I love God, you are the air I breathe. Okay, loving God, right? He loves God, but he hates his brother. He is a liar. God says, you're a liar. This is all a lie if you hate your brother. Because how can you not love your brother whom you see and yet say you love God. You can't do it. Now, finally, some of you are struggling still and saying, you know what, I, I just, I, I, you know, you're making good points. You're, you know, the verses are there. But I'm uncomfortable with this whole concept of saying I love you and, and loving my brothers and sisters, willing to die for them. I mean, this is heavy. Well, gang, you don't have an option. Look at verse 21. And this commandment have we from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now it's a commandment. We don't even have a choice. You say, but you know what, it may be a commandment, but I'm not keeping all of them anyway, and this one I'm not going to keep. Gang, if you're going to be a Christian, according to these scriptures, and please go back and study them yourself, it's just a couple of verses out of 1 John, but it talks about how we're to love each other, 
Look what it says in verse 3 of the, of the next chapter. 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So if the love of God is to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, and we go up three more verses, back to verse, you know, the last verse in the previous chapter, and it says, and this commandment have we from him to love one another. It's a commandment. We can't, we can't get away from it. There's one other verse that John wrote, but it's in the Gospel of John. It's chapter 13, verse 35. You can look it up if you want to, but it simply says this. By this shall all men, saved or lost, doesn't matter. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. Gang, why aren't we winning the world for Christ? I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion. That's all it is. We're not showing them enough love among ourselves to make them want what we have. We treat each other like the world treats themselves. And until we step up to the plate and we really love one another, because there can never be enough, we'll never be able to win our world for Jesus. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, because I graduated from Liberty University, because I go to this church, because I'm a Christian. No, by this shall all men know because you love one another. I'm going to close with a story, and we'll wrap this up. When I was in the senior high department here at the uh, church, Thomas Road, there was a young man, his name was Daryl. And Daryl, I, I want to be kind, but the only way to describe him to you, have you ever seen the poster, the, the nerd poster? That was Daryl. He just, he was a nerd. Is this me now banging? Do I need to use something else? That's fine. I'm happy to do that. Thank you. Well, Daryl wore a plaid coat every Sunday church. He was a senior in high school. He had big, black, thick-rimmed glasses, tape on the middle. He had buck teeth. His hair was never combed. He would wear a bow tie that didn't match anything. He had pants that, this is not an exaggeration, they were this high, okay, and oftentimes they were plaid and didn't match the coat. He just didn't have what we would call social graces. <clears throat> but let me tell you what Daryl did have. Daryl had a personality, and he wanted to serve the Lord. He was happy. He was the kind of kid who would sit in the front row on Sunday morning, and he would clap and sing, and he'd be very exuberant. He couldn't sing well, couldn't keep rhythm, but he was just into it. When it came time to take the offering, Daryl jumped up, and he helped pass the baskets. If somebody said something funny when they were speaking, Daryl would continue laughing long after everybody else had stopped. You know the kind. And everybody would kind of roll their eyes, oh, Daryl. But, you know, I would watch, and and though Daryl was friends to everybody, nobody was friends to Daryl. Nobody ever asked Daryl to, hey, come and join our group. If we had a skate night or whatever, Daryl, just he sat by himself. He was always, hi, he always had a friendly word to say, but I want to say to the youth group, shame, and to my shame, because I made fun of Daryl too. Not to the kids, but to staff and stuff. You know, did you see Daryl today? To my shame. Well, one day Daryl was coming home from school, and he was driving his car. He had an old, you know, lump of a car, and he lost control. We, know, we don't really know what happened, but he hit a tree. The car exploded, and he was killed tragically. Burned so badly that they had to use dental records to figure out who it was. And, of course, there was a funeral. And I'll never forget that day. Dr. Falwell and I did the funeral. And in that chapel, 
there were hundreds of teenagers from our youth group. And they were crying and they were emotional. You understand when a, when a young person is taken, it, it impacts, you know, the, the group. And they all came and I sat on that platform and I looked at them crying and I thought, you hypocrites, you didn't love him when he was alive. And now you show up too late. And then God convicted me and said, who are you talking about being a hypocrite? You never went to a school. You never went to his house. You never took any time with him. But as I began looking at that platform, I realized there were thousands of flowers, thousands, more flowers than I'd ever seen at a funeral before and ever since. Thousands of dollars and thousands of beautiful fragrant flowers. And I thought to myself, this is such a weird custom in America. Maybe it's around the world, but in this country, when somebody dies, we send flowers. What a, what a weird thought. Think about it. You're sending flowers to somebody who can't smell them. They're dead. So why, why do we do that? Well, in that funeral, this is what I came away from. Because he was taken so tragically and so quickly, people weren't expecting him to be dead, and now he was. They sent flowers in an effort to say, you know what, Daryl, we didn't tell you when we were alive, so we want to tell you now. We love you. And, and please accept these flowers as an expression of our love. Too late. Daryl didn't smell them. Daryl didn't know. Daryl was dead. He was with the Lord, but he, didn't, he never got to smell those flowers. And this is what I took out of that funeral, gang, and I want to leave it with you today, and we'll close. We need to spread the flowers while they can still be smelled. You've got a mom or dad. You've got grandma, grandpa, brothers, sisters, pastors, teachers, friends. You've never once hugged their neck and said, I love you. Thank you for what you mean to me. If it's a brother and sister in Christ, you can say, thank you for what you mean to me in Christ. But I want you to walk out here today. Last year, I sent you out saying two words, eight letters, thank you. Just say thank you. Tonight, I'm sending you out. Today, I'm sending you out with three words, eight letters. I love you. Find somebody that you need to tell that you love them. And then begin what began in my life years and years ago, as my wife taught me. You break the cycle. You start the new thing. And let's love one another with all of my heart. I love you. Father in heaven, I pray that this truth will be embedded in our hearts and that we can start seeing on the Liberty University campus a love for the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ like you want us to love, to think of others before ourselves, to think positive of one another, to lift, to boost, to encourage and then to literally say, I love you. Father, collectively we say, we love you. And thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and for what you've taught us this day. And all God's children said, amen. You're dismissed. Come down here in front if you'd like to look at Living Proof Primary Focus. Thank you, gang, and God bless. And uh, secondly, the Ark Singers have a table up there with some CDs in English and in Ukrainian. And if you want to talk to Bible Missions International, they're down here as well. Y'all have a great day.